1: Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything.
2: Welcome to Creature Feature, production of iHeartRadio. Creature Feature, it's Creature Kringle Times. A holiday special about our furry friends. Today we'll go into the distant past and find out who pulled Cave Santa's sleigh. Imagination station, real life unicorns, join us as we learn, explore, and learn. Early elephants were really, really weird, and horses used to be like chihuahuas. Creature, feature, the holiday special, but we will not be seen. The whole time, I promise. Stay here, please don't go away. Welcome to Creature Feature, a production of iHeartRadio. I'm your host, Demony Parasites, Katie Golden. I studied psychology and evolutionary biology, and today on the show, we're talking about caveman Santa and who would have guided his like. Happy Creature Kringle, Happy Creature Kringle, <laughs> Happy Creature Kringle. So, we are going to be sacking Santa's reindeer and replacing them with my favorite contenders from Christmas past, way past, millions of years in the past. From a real unicorn to a horse small enough to fit in Paris Hilton's purse, these ghosts of Christmas past are ready to spread joy to all the world's children, or cave children, or apes when we go far enough back. Discover this and more as we answer the age-old question. If you've got a shovel for a mouth, how do you kiss under the mistletoe? Joining me today is friend of the podcast, host of secretly incredibly fascinating and jolly human, Alex Schmidt. Welcome!
3: (laughs) I am so deeply jolly after that song. That was great.
2: Uh (laughs) Yes. I
3: I felt like we were both it and on a sled. Yeah. Going through a wonderful land. That was great.
2: Yeah, our hair kind of flopping around as it's not quite animated correctly. And like <laughs> you can see like fingerprints on the clay. That kind of like yeah. style, you know? Real rough, real rough claymation going on here.
3: Yeah, they made it in a hurry and they right. they had to. Yeah. <laughs>
2: you can see a hand in one of the frames. There's like clear wires and threads sticking out. But that's what makes it special. so today we are we are actually talking about animals that do look like they are from a crappy claymation from the 50s like for real and i am so excited these are (laughs) prehistoric extinct animals who i think would be quite impressive guiding santa's sleigh
3: so i love it that's very exciting yeah
2: so let's start out i think with a unicorn alex do you believe in unicorns
3: Oh, I don't believe in them. I just really like the concept. It's a good concept. That was, like, that was some really clever... I wonder if people were ever like cryptid, believing in it type people about unicorns. I think it's a very fun, fantastical idea.
2: I think so. I think people did yeah. uh, just probably because they found fossils they couldn't explain. And they were like, well, that's a unicorn. Or they found a narwhal tusk and they're like, that's a unicorn.
3: That's yeah, that's true. I guess especially when you're digging if you just find a whole horse and one horn from any horned animal. You, it's an easy mistake to make. Yeah, yeah. Exactly.
2: <laughs> but what if I told you there really was a unicorn and it's very fantastical looking?
3: I'd I'd be thrilled. I'd want to ride. First first <laughs> I was in a clay mated sled. Very thrilling. Now I'm gonna ride a unicorn. I'm it's... gonna I'm gonna listen to that like Happy unicorn power song from that one <laughs> game, like the platformer from the internet. Yeah. It's not a good description of it, but you know what I mean. Yeah. yeah.
2: So first, <laughs> in order to discover this unicorn, I want you to imagine a rhino. Just a regular rhino. You got it?
3: On it. Yeah.
2: Is it in there? Now make it bigger, like way bigger. And now make it fluffy. Awesome. Is it fluffy?
3: Oh, fantastic.
2: Yes. Now reimagine the rhino's horn uh, in to the horn of a giant, magical unicorn coming right out of the middle of its forehead.
3: <laughs> that's true. The forehead horn, that's got to be such a different experience from the nose horn. Right. Right? Right. Like, your whole head balance and everything. That that seems like a, a maybe small change at first, but when I really think about it, boy, totally differently.
2: Yeah, there aren't really many animals or any that I can think of that really have that single... <laughs> forehead horn. Our current day rhinos do sometimes have a sort of nose horn and then maybe a forehead horn, the two horned rhinos, and some of them just got through the nose horn bump. But one horn just right out of the middle of the forehead, really struggling to think of uh, any mammal that has that situation going on.
3: Yeah, shoot. I wish they were still here because like, this is prehistoric, right? We, yes, we, it's, uh, it's departed in an age long ago.
2: It has; they have g- gone on a big spaceship and gone to that great planet that of the Siberian unicorns in the sky. <laughs> so, yes, this is the extinct Siberian unicorn, aka Elasmotherium sibiricum, that once thudded along the grasslands of Eurasia long ago. So, Alex, uh, you have it in your imagination, and now look at those uh, pictures that I've provided for you as well.
3: Yeah, I'm pulling it up, and (laughs) this is an extra good time to me, because there's like an illustration first, and then a physical mock-up somebody made second. And I think the physical mock up, the horn gets even bigger, if I'm seeing this right. Like they yeah. just, I feel like every person who imagines this is exaggerating mm. like a fish story <laughs> with the horn.
2: <laughs> At some point, the horn is just so big. It's this little, little rhinoceros dangling off of it. Yeah. yeah. So the horn <laughs> itself, we don't, I'm going to be real with you. We don't really know how big this thing was. The size of it is yeah, estimated cool. based on the skull because I don't think they, have like um that much in terms of full intact horns of like adults. Uh so the oh. like it, it's like there's this indentation on the skull that seems to be where the horn would have grown out of and then they estimate the size of the horn based on other aspects of of this thing. So I am a little skeptical of the one where it <laughs> just seems like it is this massive horn that is almost I mean it's bigger than its head in circumference almost not sure if that's true but it would be cool cool if true
3: I think I think you're right I think this drawing the first version it's and it's still quite a horn and it quite also a seems horn. a little more proportional yeah really. yeah and I'm way into it yeah and it's so far up on the head there you're right it's just kind of got a snout in the nose area
2: it's a it's a chunky unicorn it's a thick thick unicorn yeah <laughs> So the Siberian unicorn went extinct a little under 40,000 years ago. So technically, humans may have crossed paths with these fellers at some point. Uh, It was huge. Uh, It was larger than any living species of rhino and larger than its contemporary, uh, the woolly rhino. So it weighed around four tons or two Toyota Tacomas, uh, my favorite unit of measurement, (laughs) Uh, it was 15 <laughs> feet or 4.5 meters long. It was also over 8 feet or 2.5 meters tall. So it's a big boy.
3: Wow. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. I, I love with uh, prehistoric stuff, they, they do that little scale diagram where it's a, just a silhouette of a little human next yeah. to whatever it is. I'm glad to know that human would be very dwarfed.
2: Yeah. Thing. Be a little just a little little bitty human i mean riding one of these things you'd look like a hobbit
3: <laughs> yeah it's very like uh, somebody on a giant eagle in lord of the rings right like that scale the eagle is much bigger yeah yeah,
2: yeah i mean <laughs> it is it is shockingly huge uh i think that it is and it's funny because it is like it's like a very metal unicorn so like You know, you have a unicorn and people may tease you like, oh, you like unicorns. That's like, you know, that's weak. That's something that Mm. manly, you know, uh, I don't even know, toxic masculinity. Uh, But like this, this is a unicorn who would thoroughly trounce you. (laughs)
3: That's I I guess forgotten that a little bit. There is that gendering of how we assume people will like unicorns like Mm -hmm. we think all horse girls will also like unicorns and then boys will be too busy with tanks and this animal's sort of a tank so it's
2: funny to me that unicorns is seen as this like feminine kind of like um, non tough thing because it is a horse that has a spear on its forehead
3: yeah yeah like put it together folks right
2: A horse on a bad day can wreck you, right? Like a horse can already wreck you. Oh man. It can stomp you. It can toss you. It can kick you. It's already serious. And then you add a weapon to its head. And we're like, oh, that's, <laughs> you know, that's that's weak. Like that's that's silly and that's for girls. And it's like, first of all, uh, fine. Like if girls have to claim unicorns, that's fine. Good luck with your non-weaponized horses, fellas.
3: <laughs> that is funny. I about a month ago, I rode a horse for the first time.
2: Really? Was it scary? Yeah. I'm scared of horses.
3: It. I think it was a very well trained horse, but it also had a lot of different ideas from me Mm-mm. about how we should be proceeding in the Mm-mm. ride, where we should go, how fast we should go. So, like every time I told it to do something different, it changed. its... It was like, okay, fine. But also, I had learned how to talk to this horse like two seconds before <laughs> getting on it. Yeah. So I did not feel in like control at all. I was like okay, I just hope being perched on this works out. Editor.
2: Yeah, yeah. I mean, I feel like I would be very easily bossed around by a horse. I love horses. <laughs> I have never ridden a real horse. I've ridden a pony before as a kid, but I thoroughly respect them, and they scare me a little bit. Yeah. Like They are so huge, and I'm like, you are just by your good nature not turning my face into a concave bowl. Like, I- yeah. You know, and, and I, I think that they are quite impressive and they, the idea of like, be like, well, now I'm going to hop on you. It's like, that <laughs> seems rude. Maybe the horse is fine with it, but I don't know what I'm doing. And I would just let that board yeah. that I would let the horse take charge. Really? It's just like, look, don't ignore me. Do what you want. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm even here. You want a carrot? Don't don't kick me.
3: <laughs> oh, should have brought carrots. Yeah. I, I and, you know, I made it back So shout out to Bud. Bud was the name of the horse. Aww. Hello, Bud.
2: Bud, thanks. Uh, uh, yeah, you know,
3: he's a nice guy, but it's it really is. It's like you're it's like you're on a motorcycle, but you're also on top of a cliff. Right. And then a farm animal can throw you off of the cliff at mm. any time if mm-hmm. it wants to. It, that's, yeah. That's a horse.
2: It's a a tall motorcycle with feelings. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Well, given that- So anyway, I
3: want to ride this animal. So anyways, this Uh, is like uh, a mega rhino,
2: also with a huge spear on its head. So good luck with that. Uh, The horn on its head is thought to have been massive and likely required the Siberian unicorn to grow a large muscular hump on its back, sort of like a bison- um, yeah. yeah, and you love bison, so I thought you'd I like this this guy, too.
3: Fantastic.
2: It is unknown, yeah. like I said, uh, how big the horn really was, but based on the large indent found on its skull, reconstructions imagine this unicorn as being longer than its head and very, very thick. Um, I would say yeah. some of the <laughs> thickest uh, models of it may be exaggerating a little bit, but it even with the more toned down, the toned down illustrations of it still look ridiculous. Like it is like a thick. It's like a bison mixed with a rhino, make a huge, and then a mat like a not just like one of those sort of thin, you know, unicorn horns. A big one. It's a chonker.
3: Yeah, when you when you said the scientific name before, I think the the phrase like therium was mm-hmm. part of it. Yes. And I'm pretty sure I learned, I, from this great show, I first learned about megatheriums. And ever since then, I've been like, okay, therium is probably a big animal phrase. <laughs> and it's i it's mean, this mega, way, it should be like
2: mega a horn etherium, also... you know?
3: <laughs> oh, mega too. Yeah, sure.
2: <laughs> I don't know what the therium root means. Therium? What does that mean? Uh,
3: oh, yeah. I don't know it I don't I know, no I don't know Latin. Push it. I probably should have yeah.
2: learned Latin at some point because of animals, but I didn't. Um but yeah, so this is, yeah, this is a lasmotherium Um So yeah. Uh, yeah, despite looking like they could easily shish kebab you and roast you over an open fire, uh, they were big old herbivores, likely grazers who munched down massive amounts of grass. And their dependence on the grasslands may have been what led to their downfall, There's not really evidence Mm -hmm. that we like hunted them to extinction or anything like that. It it seems to be more that because they were so huge and they needed so much grass that as grasslands shrank after the ice age, they simply were not able to get enough grass to sustain their populations.
3: That makes sense. Yeah. This definitely seems like it needs to be chomping and chewing all of the time to develop more horn, but also to keep going. Yeah.
2: Right. Exactly. So that that temperature change really kind of screwed them. Um, yeah. So, in terms of why I think the Siberian unicorn would be a good candidate for Santa, uh, Cave Santa to bring back from uh, uh, from the <laughs> I guess from the extinction. Although I guess if it's Cave Santa, Cave Santa would have been contemporary with this guy. So, uh, one is that there <laughs> is huge horn to break ice or to fight off Grinches. Uh, the uh, Siberian unicorn is also vegetarian friendly. It only eats grass. It is also fluffy, cold proof, and adorable. And it's a literal unicorn, so I feel like it is already probably infused with magic. What do you think, Alex?
3: I I agree with all that, and I'm thinking of that like traditional picture of what is it eight reindeer pulling the sled? Yes, and I feel like it's like a a Two columns of four reindeer is the general arrangement, right? Like, like two, 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 two. These guys would need to work out being positioned directly behind each other with an enormous horn, Ooh, and I think they could point. do it because, like, reindeer have those huge antlers; they're not sticking it, it, up each other's butts all the time, you know. <laughs> so, so these guys could probably figure it out. It's, I trust but
2: them. But the antlers are a little less forward-facing than this horn, so I guess they'd need they'd need some personal space there to avoid a very unfortunate situation if, like, the one in front breaks very suddenly.
3: Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I think maybe a bunch of padding, like yeah. huge windsock sort of structure stick over a, it. Just you know. stick
2: a little, like, ball of styrofoam on the top of that point there. <laughs> It'd be,
3: it could be festive. Like going to work, honey, and they put a huge, one of those foam microphone covers over your horn, <laughs> like...
2: It could be festive, little festive pom poms.
3: Oh, a lot of lights! You can put so many Christmas lights on a. So many Christmas lights! Wow,
2: that you could paint it like a giant candy cane. Gosh.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
4: Snag a job is where America goes to hire with the deepest talent pool in hourly hiring.
2: So, Alex, I know what you're wondering. I know what you're thinking. What do you get when you cross a snow shovel with an elephant?
3: Man, finally. Here I am mm-hmm. on on a horseback in the woods wondering that question. And the horse is like, I don't know, man. And I keep asking the horse, what do you do with a snow shovel and an elephant? It's
2: one of the great unanswered questions of our times. Well, I have an answer. It's the platybelodon. <laughs> The world's nice. doofiest extinct elephant. He looks so dumb. Hooray.
3: Oh, I, I pulled up the picture. Wow. <laughs> Great. Uh, very good. <laughs> uh,
2: this is one of my favorite extinct animals. It is one of the animals that got me interested in evolutionary biology when I was a kid because I got like a, cool. what was it? I don't remember the brand of magazine it might have been a zoo books but it was like a free magazine we got in the mail that was about
3: prehistoric freaks weekly that was one of my favorites
2: like it was like like the evolution (laughs) of the elephant and it showed uh just a bunch of weird weird elephants and I was fascinated by that, and it real. I mean, I was already, I already loved animals. I think I was already probably addicted to animals at that point. But this was, this was amazing, and um, so the platybelodon was uh one of the world's doofiest extinct elephants, possibly the world's doofiest looking animal. It looks like a Star Wars animal, but something that is so silly looking, even George Lucas would have had to edit it out of his films. And he is notorious for having doofy things and not knowing how to edit.
3: <laughs> I am, I if, if people don't know, I really like bison, I made the bison emoji. Also very into stuff like elephants. And I, I think just like large mammals or like big Megafauna. walking things I'm into. Yeah, and like, when those when those uh, deluxe editions of the original Star Wars movies came out, I was pretty excited about the do-backs. You know? uh, yeah. like, I think that whole school of animals, I'm like, pretty good. But do are also, as you say, much more conventional. These guys would be just wacky. It would be like, why are the stormtroopers on a comedy animal? This is, <laughs> this is silly.
2: <laughs> yeah. So they they do have a bit of a Jar Jar Binks situation going on. The oh, pla- very much. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So the platybelodon uh, is a genus of extinct relatives of elephants that lived during the Miocene Epoch 10 to 15 million years ago in Asia and Africa. So imagine an elephant, but it's actually a bit smaller. Sometimes when we go prehistoric, the animals are bigger, like giant sloths and this giant unicorn rhino. But sometimes they're smaller, you know? Uh, So this one's a little bit smaller. Now, turn its trunk into a giant shovel-like, almost kind of like duckbill thing with a couple of buck teeth sticking out of the lower jaw right on the tip of its mouth. In addition, it still has tusks on the side of its mouth like modern elephants. So there has been a lot of debate about exactly what this thing looks like. Uh, so there are some depictions of it that are a little more far-fetched than others. All of the depictions of it are bananas bonkers, so don't worry. Like, there's there's no depiction of it that makes it look normal, <laughs> like a reasonable <laughs> animal. Some are just a little more wild than others. The depiction that is my favorite, uh, but possibly the least accurate, is the one where it has, like, stretched out daffy duck uh, like Bill, <laughs> with like buck teeth on the bottom, so it's hard to know exactly what they look like because we only have the like fossil records, we don't have the soft tissue records, so like we don't know what like any of the sort of soft tissue would have looked like. We can only guess based on the the skull, the lower jaw, what the upper fleshy part of their um essentially like it's this elongated proboscis would have looked like so with a modern elephant you have a elongated nose that acts as this big proboscis and has all these muscles Mm. very fine-tuned control and its mouth is way back um you know like it's Mm, like it pulls it doesn't eat with the tip of its trunk it can breathe with the tip of its trunk but it you know, can pull up grasses or vegetation and bring it up to its mouth. And you've probably seen an elephant eat, you've probably seen it drink. It also doesn't drink like through its nose. It sucks that water in and then dumps it into its mouth. So Yeah, yeah. So the it's thought that the platybellodon had a similar situation going, that it didn't like have a weird mouth at the tip of its proboscis. But unlike the uh unlike the elephant it had a low elongated lower jaw now this is pretty pretty definitive based on the fossil records we have the fossil records of this really long like weird scooper (laughs) shovel shovel like lower jaw that probably had these like two sort of like buck teeth or like weird uh just like two tusks together that stuck out at the bottom so definitely Amazing. had a long lower jaw. Now the upper one, like it could have been more like a modern day elephant tusk, right? Because the idea that it was more like an elephant tusk is that its mouth, again, like how is it going to get stuff in its mouth? Like like sort of sh- scoop things up and then like toss its head all the way back and hope that it all falls in? Probably not. Uh, with that if it has an easily manipulatable upper proboscis, then it could like, you know, pick things up and then place it back into its mouth, which is like, you know, sort of like the, the 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 bits where it would be able to chew and eat stuff is not at the tip of that proboscis or even at the tip of that jaw. It'd be in like deeper. I mean, like, it's weird to think yeah. about because our mouths are so like self-contained, but for this mm. for this thing, it can't like chew with the front bits of its lower jaw or its long proboscis, it's got to get it back there somehow. So like the depictions Man. of its mouth is more like a weird, I don't even know, just like a weird kind of like beak thing that like closes all the way. It's like, well, then this that upper thing <laughs> would have to somehow get stuff in that deeper into its mouth. And it, it's a little unclear how it would do that with such a long unwieldy uh duck-like yeah. proboscis but you know it could, it could have been flatter than a modern day elephant's trunk but still could manipulate things like still grab things and manipulate and push it back so i get i in my opinion probably the most accurate model would be elephant with this ridiculously long lower jaw with the two buck teeth sticking out so that's still good that's still there
3: oh yeah we're not losing that the top (laughs)
2: part of it probably a flatter but still relatively recognizable elephant trunk uh on top of it so not quite like a weird duck bill but still a a a flatter Uh. a little bit thicker and flatter elephant trunk that's my unprofessional <laughs> opinion.
3: <laughs> that That's making me think of, I, I, obviously, all the cartoon ducks you mentioned, Total Fit. And then uh, I'm thinking of the Disney character, Goofy. Yeah. Like, if you put hit those two teeth of his on the bottom instead of the top, mm-hmm. that's kind of the, the mouth we're looking at.
2: Uh, it's Which tr- yeah. I don't I
3: don't want to see him eat at all. That's no. like that really takes you out of the cartoon.
2: <laughs> it's it's very str- even the most reserved reconstructions of this are wild and very very strange. Looks like a fever dream of an elephant. Um, <laughs> yeah. Now uh, there, so like there used to be this theory about this elephant that kind of informed the illustrations of it, which is that it used its mouth as a shovel and kind of like would live in sort of swampy areas and then shovel up sort of swamp grasses and then like, you know, kind of let it sort of drop in the backs of their mouths. But modern researchers think that it's more likely, given the shape uh, and characteristics of those (laughs) lower buck teeth that just jut out uh god it it's just it's so weird it's like a big spoon <laughs> with like these two like a fork at the end i don't even know man it's so, look this thing up please look it up and don't look <laughs> at just the first result look at many different reconstructions so the the thought is that um uh that they used this lower jaw not to like as a shovel but actually as like a tree trimmer <laughs> so uh It's like uh, basically the wear patterns on this seem to indicate that it was used to strip off bark and leaves off of trees. So basically it would use this lower jutting jaw to like tree trim the tree and then its upper trunk to take that stuff. It just trimmed and then push it back into its mouth.
3: Uh, Yeah, like a a bucket for catching. (laughs) Like an outfielder. This is amazing.
2: Yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, I mean, it's just like you can imagine this thing shredding stuff with its weird lower jaw and then picking it up with its upper <laughs> trunk thing and then putting it in its mouth. Just, I mean, there's no, no matter how one reconstructs this, this elephant, it was preposterous. Yeah. Some, for
3: some reason, I'm imagining some comedy sketch where like a tree has a mind like a human and is like look at that dumb animal definitely eats marsh stuff doesn't affect <laughs> me it's getting closer to me don't need to worry about it getting even closer to me doesn't matter stupid marsh mouth definitely and then oh no Uh-oh. <laughs> <laughs> definitely a tree trimmer somehow oh no
2: <laughs> so this is why i think the Platybelladon would be a good candidate for santa's sleigh team so Even though it may not have used its mouth as a shovel, I think it still could. So emergency snow shovel mouth for efficient rooftop landings as long as the roof is structurally stable enough to handle the weight of a small elephant. Uh, But in addition, those buck teeth would be useful for tree trimming. So cutting down uh, Christmas trees, trimming them, all great. Uh, Proboscis, the elephant trunk part of it, could be used to help tie Christmas presents. And uh, sorry, Creature oh, Kringle yeah. presents. I want to be clear here. This is for Creature Kringle Times, a non denominational holiday for all. So, yeah. So, Creature Kringle Times presents. Um, also, <laughs> Santa, at least our Creature Kringle time Santa, uh, Cave Santa, is a kind, magical man who knows not to ride on top of the Platybelladon because Platybelladon like modern elephants, ha- probably had a skeletal structure that means they can't bear the weight of a human rider and that can hurt hit them. So uh, Cave Santa would know this because uh, he's, you know, magical and would use magical sleigh powder to help the platybelodon fly and there would be no pressure on its back and they're probably friends. So that's canon.
3: <laughs> yeah, that's that's true. That's right. <laughs> yeah, I, uh I like that we're thinking so much about how this animal eats. Yeah. It's making me think about Santa. Like, there's so much Santa lore about how Santa eats and drinks as this night goes on. Like, he has a couple billion helpings of milk and cookies. So, I want the Christmas stuff to be like, yeah, kids, like, Santa will come have milk and cookies. Meanwhile, his platybelladons are eating the trees outside our house. You know, that's a fun <laughs> break to me. That's a good a good stop for snacks.
2: Yeah, make sure to plant a lot of uh, friendly, deciduous, edible trees for the platybelladon, uh, the Creature Kringle yeah. Times platybelladon.
3: <laughs> You're like, oh, what a wonderful set of presents. Anyway, time to go outside. And all the trees are just gone. gone. Like you can just see for miles, you know? Right.
2: I mean, <laughs> you got to pay the piper in this instance, an extinct elephant relative. Yeah. <laughs> just a lot of rooftop damage, too, from the the magical platybelodon thumping down <laughs> onto the roof. <laughs> I feel like reindeer well, true. reindeer would cause a good amount of damage anyways, so
3: that's yeah, I think a lot of especially kids are like, Oh, all hoofed animals are on like pony logic, where it's tiny in a way I want it to be. But those things are huge. Like <laughs> they would definitely <laughs> break through a lot of roofs and shingles yep. and stuff. Yep. Yeah.
2: Well, speaking of tiny pony logic, when we return, we are going to yes. stop with the big and start thinking small.
1: So, tiny pony time, tiny pony time, tiny t-
2: t- t- blah 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 blah. tiny pony time. It's like Tiny Tim, <laughs> but tiny pony.
3: Please, sir, may I have some ponies? <laughs> He's like, I'll give you ponies. I'm actually very nice. Surprise.
2: <laughs> so, so far we've gone with huge animals who could probably take over like the whole reindeer team, to be honest, like the Platybelladon, the... Siberian unicorn, both quite huge megafauna. But what about microfauna? Little teeny tiny adorable animals. So uh, let's look at the world's first horse. Uh, Number one, horse number one. Like once we started making these horses. Uh, Very different from from the horses today. So uh, when we think about like the world's first xyz it's it's like kind of tricky right like well what truly was the world's first horse well it's more like this is the first sort of common ancestor of all horses Uh, and that's essentially what what we would say like you know the first horse and the first horse was so teeny and tiny and small uh, <laughs> it, it's it's so wonderful. Um, the first horse was Cypripex sandrae, which was a genus of teeny tiny itty bitty baby horses who lived in Wyoming over 50 million years ago. So, Ooh. so it was the size of a chihuahua, around eight pounds or four and a half kilograms. <laughs> It was smaller than a modern horse's head. So Wow. This kind of horse I feel like I could confidently boss around.
3: It's true. Isn't it is this the horse from the question about the duck-sized horses or the horse-sized duck? This is this is it, right? Like this is the one you fight.
2: But I wouldn't want to fight these guys because they're so cute. No. No. Don't fight them. And also
3: anytime people ask that question, I'm like, why are you Battling animals. They're so nice. Like, I don't know, Ben. <laughs> I feel <laughs>
2: like if the duck-sized horses want to fight you, you've done something to deserve it.
3: Absolutely. All 100 of them can't be wrong.
2: <laughs> so the main difference between it and modern horses, other than obviously the fact it's the size of a lap dog, uh, is its feet. So while horses have one fused toe, the Sephripis had multiple toes. Uh, so it's like a teeny tiny horse with little tootsies.
3: Cool. Okay. Yeah. I'll bet that's, I'll bet that's helpful for walking. Right. (laughs) You have a little more control grip, et cetera. You're not just on a stub that has to be one thing.
2: I mean, it's a, it's a trade-off, right? Like you are sort of, um, the, the hoof has some great properties in terms of like sort of Suspension, weight distribution, things like that. Cool. Uh, toughness yeah. of the feet. And the fact that this thing, like, continually, the horse hoof, like, sort of continually grows and makes it very tough. And so a horse can, uh, in a wild horse, can sort of trample over rough terrain and, like, shoes, you know, natural shoes, growing shoes. The reason we actually have to shoe horses that are domesticated is because they are on harder surfaces. So like streets, cobblestone, things like that, any kind of like paved thing is going to be too hard on the hooves and will wear them down too quickly. But wild horses are Mm. on softer terrain, but still having those like hooves uh, does protect their feet and legs from the stress of like galloping and running. And they don't really need the other toes uh, for things like they don't use them for other things, so that is why, generally speaking, like you would have something like a hoof form, but for this little tiny oh. light animal, it doesn't necessarily need the hoof structure so much uh, to like you know offer that cushioning that protection as it's like running, and the toes might be useful for something like digging things up. In fact, like some ungulates, not all ungulates have like horse hooves. Some are like have multiple toes, uh, and some have things like cup-shaped hooves, like caribou or reindeer have these like cup-shaped hooves uh, oh, that can actually cool. like dig up uh, vegetation. So, uh, yeah, there are all sorts of interesting hoof structures. Uh, but yeah, the first the first horse ancestor genus, like they they had multiple toes. They didn't had not yet had those all fused into that one hoof.
3: Wow. That's also interesting. I, I didn't know much of any of that, yeah. especially like cup-shaped hooves. That's great. Yeah. That, that seems very handy.
2: Very, very handy. Very hoofy. Uh-
3: <laughs> oh, right. <laughs> I'm so human-centric. I'm like, hooves are probably bad and hands are the best, is <laughs> my so, perspective.
2: Interestingly, scientists are looking at how the Cypripus responded to climate change to predict how species might be impacted during our current anthropogenic climate change so in the past there's been climate change right like natural climate change currently the climate change we're experiencing is increasing at a rate unprecedented and it's anthropogenic caused, human cause like the, there's a bunch of research on this so like when people are like oh well you know there's been climate change in the past like it's different um but even yeah. in the past climate change did have a huge impact on the world so um There was a period of rapid heating during the Paleocene-Eocene Thermal Maximum, which was around 55 million years ago, where global temperatures rose by almost 20 degrees Fahrenheit or 8 degrees Celsius and lasted around 200,000 years. And the uh, paleontologists found that this caused the Cephripus species to get small, going from around 12 pounds to 8 pounds. So they started off small. (laughs) And when even more teacup size, it's possible then that researchers speculate that maybe modern animals will adapt to global warming by getting smaller if they don't just go extinct so uh yeah, like global oh, wow. warming today is happening at a alarmingly fast rate, so the worry is that it's happening too fast for animals to like adapt um that is just gonna like cause sort of extinctions rather than you know, a a more gradual natural selection, but it's possible that animals will become smaller in response to global warming. And that's not necessarily a good thing, Uh, but you know,
3: yeah, that's such a man. I never thought of that being a way things can go, though, even that's amazing. Yeah. and I, I guess we have these ancient examples uh, of some non-human caused stuff that can be a guidance. That's amazing.
2: yeah, I mean, wow. again, it's very different because this is a different kind of global war- warming that is happening in a much shorter time scale than historic mm-hmm. periods of global warming. But yeah, it's it's still possible that we would see there be some selection for smaller animals. Um, it's It's hard to know. Exactly. But anyways, let's talk about uh how we could get the Zephrippus to uh uh pull Santa's <laughs> sleigh. Uh Yeah. Let's... Also,
3: can we can we celebrate the name Zephrippus? Come Zifrippus. on, folks. Well, actually, That's know, it's, fantastic. It's got the Zifrippus, acronym sorry.
2: of your podcast in there. S I F R H I P P U S. So, S I F, secretly incredibly fascinating. This is the horse of your podcast. That's right. <laughs> <laughs>
3: Yeah. I'm sitting on one every time I tape. It's doing fine. It can it can handle it. Yeah. <laughs> I it, ride a tiny horse.
2: It kind of like made me think of like some old timey way of like writing sir, and I'm, I'm reading it as like some media- medieval like Cephrus, like you know some kind of honorific. <laughs> right. <laughs> so, uh, let's say that Cephrus gets the same magical properties, same physics of the nine reindeer that Santa has. And remember, reindeer are real animals, also known as caribou. Uh, They are quite hefty. Santa's reindeer are likely female because male reindeer shed their antlers in the winter, while females keep their antlers during the winter and shed them in spring. So all all those prancer-dancer, they're all ladies.
3: Okay. I Also, I when when I was thinking about like how the sleigh is arranged, and I was thinking of eight reindeer, I think I fully forgot about Rudolph. That's weird, right?
2: That is definitely the
3: most famous one. Uh, like (laughs) I'm the one who has been through the most bullying. Alex is the one
2: that was denying Rudolph those reindeer games, so direct your hate towards Alex.
3: (laughs) Yeah, it's four on four, man. What do you want? What are we gonna do? Can't have an odd number,
2: yeah. And h- and also, his- it's
3: eight ladies. You're a guy. Uh, that's <laughs> fine. But, you know, we kind of have a thing going. I mean, it's
2: interesting because Rudolph <laughs> is sometimes depicted as not having antlers, like having little nubs. So he could actually be the only male. Wow. Right?
3: That's, yeah. Santa Santa is so, he, he just has a lot of personnel decisions going on that we don't understand. We're not privy to it. Right. You know? How do I get in that meeting?
2: <laughs> so uh, females way around. 200 pounds or 90 kilograms female reindeer. So uh, times nine reindeer, that's like 1,800 pounds of pure reindeer. So obviously there's probably more biophysics that goes into this in terms of like muscle capacity, pulling capacity, skeletal strength. I'm not going to do any of that. It's creature cringleness. <laughs> we don't have time. So yeah. how many <laughs> cifripis do we need to equal this amount of reindeer heft? Sifrippis are only around 8 to 12 pounds. So you'd need 150 Uh? to 225 Sifrippis tiny ponies to equal nine reindeer. So you would get to hear the little toe steps of 225 tiny horses pulling uh, Cave Santa's sleigh. Or at least like... These were not. These were like around 50 million years ago. Humans were not around at this time, so Cave Santa would have to do some kringle magic to bring this guy back.
3: <laughs> That's incredible. And and I guess the naming situation is fun. You get to pick a lot of names. Maybe it's too many to pick. Right. Know.
2: There's, you know, Clarence one, Clarence two, Clarence three. <laughs> Clarence four. <laughs>
3: the first name we pull. Yeah,
2: <laughs>
3: <laughs> they're yeah. all
2: clearances. I, I can't. I can't.
3: Eventually, I guess it would eventually be like NASA, where they just start numbering the asteroids. Right. You know, like right. there's too many asteroids, man. What are we gonna do? Tiny horse. Just P-150. give them serial numbers. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> yeah. Just serial numbers on their butts. Poor, poor little horses. Maybe they don't want to. Yeah. Maybe they don't want to fly Kringle time sleigh. Maybe they just want to hang out, chill out in grasslands, and skip around.
4: Yeah.
3: I also, man, I'm just realizing how pretty that herd probably is. Oh, so cute. Like it's, it probably looks like a flock of birds or something. Just so that many little guys. Just little guys.
2: Just little. Like. Oh, just great. Uh, it's just so cute. I would love to have a lap horse like this. Just oh, pet man, it. Yeah. Keep it in my lap. <laughs> Be a little baby carrots, cause that's all it could have, cause it's so small.
3: <laughs> <laughs> I do. I want to see one try to pick up a whole carrot and just thud, Aww. like too heavy, you know? But in a really cute, too way. Da, baby.
2: Oh, that's good. little baby, <laughs> little baby. Oh, it's so cute. I love tiny horses. I love tiny horses. Bring back, like I know that we have a bunch of like extinction projects and stuff, and maybe it's unethical, but mm. I don't care. Bring back this horse.
3: Yeah, do it. Come do on. It. Do it. Don't come be worried on. about it. Come just on. do it.
2: My my yeah. proposal for like government funding is Come on. Tiny horse. Come on.
3: <laughs> just at the the NIH or some huge government organization, you're just poking somebody come at on. their desk do it. like do standing it. Do behind it. Do them. <laughs> poke poke poke. Come on.
2: <laughs> so, Alex, thank you so much for joining me today. Where can the people find you? At
3: it- Thank you for having me. It's always great, uh, and yeah, I, I hope people enjoy my podcast, Secretly Incredibly Fascinating, which uh, also should have a recent episode about Snoopy. Yeah, uh, featuring guest Katie Golden. That's out Wait in December, and that's I
2: me. Love,
3: that's you. Yeah, yeah. Uh, but it, yeah, we—it's history and science and stories about why something seemingly ordinary is amazing. Uh, and I'm also glad patrons picked Snoopy because you know folks love Snoopy, and also it turns out there was a lot more there.
2: A lot of Snoop heads out there. Yeah, I, I, I think this show is fantastic. I highly recommend it if you like this podcast. And yeah, I, I've been on a guest on it a few times now. And yeah, I am on the Snoopy, yeah. Snoopyverse episode. So do check that out. Uh, and thank you guys so much for listening. If you're enjoying the show and you want to leave a rating or review, I, I, hey, I would love that. I read all of them and they make me happy. And uh, if you have an answer to this week's mystery animal sound game or a question or a picture of your pet, you can write to me at creaturefeaturepod at gmail.com. And thank Ooh. you so much to the Space Cossacks for their super awesome song, Exilumina. Creature Feature is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts like the one you just heard, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or hey, guess what? wherever you listen to your favorite shows. And, and people, happy Creature Cringle times. Enjoy it.
0: See you next Wednesday. <laughs> Trinity School of Natural Health can help you be part of the fast-growing health and wellness industry. With an education that empowers communities, Trinity grads can change lives by applying natural health principles and techniques in holistic practices or stores selling nourishing health products. Offering 19 online programs that fit your busy schedule, you'll get training to help turn your passion into a career. Enroll today at trinityschool.org. That's trinityschool.org.
4: This is Malcolm Gladwell from Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride.